Thank you for listening to this recent message from the Rescue Church. We pray that God will use this message to encourage, challenge, and inspire you on your faith journey. If you'd like to learn more about the Rescue Church, please visit us online at therescuechurch.com. Question for those of you that are still sitting here and not a kid that's running out the door right now. Question for you guys. By show of hands, how many of you love a good story? How many of you love a good story? Okay, a couple of us. That's cool. Because today we're going to hear a great story. And I'm going to just blow the ending for you. I'm titling this message Grave Robber. As we get back into the book of John, by the way, we've been off. I've been off the last three weeks. I've had Dave Ramsey filling in, preaching some awesome truth from God's word about how to handle our finances. So I'm excited to get to preach again this morning. As we go back to John chapter 11 and get back into the gospel of John, the, the, the story of the grave robber, that's what I'm calling Jesus today, because here's the end of the story. I'm going to ruin the surprise. We're going to hear a story where Jesus brought a man out of the grave back to life. Okay, so now you know how the story ends, but it doesn't start on a happy ending. It starts with a lot of bad situation that goes worse. And we're going to drill down into that because we've got some twists and turns along the way where we're going to learn a few things about who God is uh, and and how he relates to his people this morning. Um, As we jump into John chapter 11, I got to tell you real quick, if you've got your handouts and you're following along, you'll notice that like all of that scripture, if you're like, John, are we covering all of that? Yes, we are. It's a long story. And check this out. I have on purpose deleted other verses out of John 11. John 11 is longer than what you have in front of us, but I know we all would like to eat lunch today. So I'm just putting my cards on the table. I'm not trying to rewrite scripture. I'm not trying to manipulate the story. I've just kind of simplified it down to the main story. And so anywhere on your notes where you see a little dot, 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 just know that I've deleted some verses that are actually in John 11. And you can go check my work on your own if you want and read through John 11. And you'll hopefully see that the story still remains pretty well intact. Let's jump into this, guys. This is an awesome story. John chapter 11, starting in verse 1, John writes this. He says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And we know like Jesus had a special friendship with these siblings. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, I got a question for you. Have you ever prayed and asked God to intervene in a situation where someone you loved was sick, or there was a need for some kind of divine intervention? Have you ever asked God, and has he ever, like, not answered your prayers? This, this is gonna, there's going to be some tension here this morning. Watch this. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Oh, I thought it was saying her sister Lazarus. I was like, whoa, I read that all wrong. So anyway, he loved these three siblings, right? So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, watch this. He stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. On his arrival, Jesus found that that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Let's pause the story real quick because I want to point out what I right off the bat see is I've got some problems with this story. I, I see some discrepancies in this story because here, here's what I'm hearing. On one hand, I'm hearing Jesus say that he loves Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha, and yet when he gets word that Lazarus is sick, Jesus on purpose stays where he's at for two more days. 
So to me, that's kind of a disconnect. Like, whoa, you love me so much, you stayed away when I was sick? Thank you, I feel the love. And then, here's another problem I have with the text. Jesus, we heard him say, this sickness will not end in death. And yet, when he shows up on the scene, late, Lazarus has already been in the tomb for four days. Wait a minute, Jesus, I thought you said this sickness wasn't going to end in death, and Lazarus is dead. I'm trying to reconcile that. I've got some problems with that. I'm asking the question to some people this morning, has God ever shown up late in your life? He has in mine. I mean, there have been times that I've prayed and I've asked God for things. And, and by the way, let me be clear. I'm not talking about superficial stuff that doesn't matter, like, Lord, please give me a new Ferrari in my driveway. Or more impossible things, Lord, help the Vikings win the Super Bowl someday in my lifetime. Amen. Like, I'm talking about stuff that matters, stuff that's according to his will. Like, Lord, intervene in this situation and overcome. Someone needs healing. Someone needs provision. There's this thing that's happening that's not just. It's wrong. And, and, and I've prayed, and I've had times where God has not answered my prayer. Has that ever happened to you? How, how do you respond when God seemingly shows up late in your life? Well, I want to show you how Martha responds. She's one of the sisters. She's Lazarus' sister. And Martha, I love it in this story, Martha says everything that I'm thinking. And she puts into words what you probably have wrestled with in your heart at some time as well. So check this out. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. Look at this next phrase. It says, but Mary stayed at home. And, and I don't know. The text doesn't say it, but I kind of gather. I wonder if Mary's like, I don't even want to talk to Jesus right now. I just wonder, like, have you ever been there in your life where you're kind of so hurt or mad at God or disillusioned with God that you're like, I don't even feel like praying. I don't know if I even want to talk to you, God. I, I don't even know if I believe that there is a God. Well, Mary stayed at home, it says. And then look what Martha says. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Have you ever prayed that kind of a prayer to the Lord? Like, God, if you would have intervened, you could have stopped it. You could have stopped it, Lord. I know you could have. And you didn't. I want to talk for just a moment. I told you there would be some tension in this story this morning. I want to talk and just identify a very real place where we go. I think it's a natural human response to grief and sorrow and loss. And, and I'm going to label it like this. I'm going to call it like, we, we often take kind of a passive-aggressive posture toward the Lord. And, and here's what I mean by that when I say passive-aggressive. Like, we, we come to the Lord in prayer, but we kind of blame Him for the sorrow, the grief, the loss. And, and I, here's probably how the reasoning goes. Just like Martha said in our minds, we say, Lord, you could have stopped this from happening because you're all-powerful. And you say that you love me, and yet you let this happen. And so essentially, we kind of put the blame for whatever pain we're having, we blame God for it. Have, have you ever done that? Because I have. Question, in the story, did we read it? And you can go back and read the verses that I cut out. Um, but anywhere in John 11, do we see the account where Jesus like put a chokehold on Lazarus and snuffed him out? Jesus didn't kill Lazarus. We don't know why Lazarus died or what was his cause of death, but it wasn't Jesus. And yet, can you hear how Mary's kind of putting the blame on his shoulders? She's kind of letting Jesus feel that. You could have stopped this. 
and you didn't. And so I guess here's what I want to say to that is, A, I think it's natural, and I think I, I love that the Bible is just so honest and transparent about the human reaction to pain. Martha kind of blamed Jesus. You, you could have stopped this, and you didn't. She's trying to reconcile this. But, and I would say this, Jesus doesn't scold Martha, and I could point to other stories where God does not get mad at people for asking hard questions and struggling in their faith and doubts. Like, he doesn't scold us for that. So I guess here's my encouragement. I've had this conversation so many times over the years in ministry with hurting people that take your hard questions to God. Just talk to him about it. Tell him you're mad. Tell him you're disappointed. I would highly caution you to remember who it is you're speaking with. You're speaking with the almighty, supernatural creator of the universe. So do so with some reverence and worship and respect, but don't be afraid of bringing God your real heart. And just saying, God, you see it anyway, so here it is. And, and I like Martha's transparency. So she says, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. Let's keep going. Because now she's kind of turning the corner, and there's still a little glimmer of faith that Martha says, because she says, but I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Don't we encourage one another when there's been a death and a loss of a, of a believer? Like, you'll see them again. Right? And, and Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. She's kind of putting her faith in the distant future. Like, someday, some way, I'll see my brother. I do believe that. But then watch this, church. Jesus said to her, hey, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then Jesus asks a very powerful question to Martha. He says, do you believe this? And look at her response. Yes, Lord, she replied, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Hey, church, I just want to pause the story briefly here to tell you this. I believe with all my heart that today Jesus Christ poses the very same question to you and me that he asked Martha. He's asking you, do you believe in me? And if you've ever wondered, if I'm speaking to someone who you had a friend that invited you on Facebook to join us right now, and you're just kind of sitting at home, and all of a sudden you find yourself in a church service hearing this story being told, if you've ever wondered to yourself how to be in a right relationship with this God that must be out there somewhere, you know he exists, but you don't know how to have your sins forgiven and how to have the gift of eternal life and how to walk in a right relationship with that God, what I want you to know is Martha just told us. Because her response is the same response Christ is looking for from you and me where she says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who's come into the world. Church, I, I need to ask you this question this morning. Has there been a point in time in your life where you made that confession of faith to the Lord Jesus, where you said, Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God who came into the world for a relationship with me. You are my only way and truth and life. You are the only way that I can be forgiven. Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus? Like, that's, that's how it works right there. Well, let's keep going in the story. Watch this. Mary decides, for whatever reason, she's ready to come and see Jesus. So it says, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, look at these next words. She fell at his feet and said, she says the exact same thing her sister Martha said, Lord, if you had been here, 
my brother would not have died. Let me pause just to point out that, that statement I made earlier. See, again, I think God's okay if you bring him your real heart, but notice Mary's posture. She's on her feet or on her knees at the feet of the Lord. Like, I think like we can come before the Lord in worship and reverence and say, God, I don't understand. I just, I'm hurting. And I believe you are supernaturally able to do amazing things, and for whatever reason, you didn't on my behalf at this way in the time in which I asked for it. And so there's this gap where I'm trying to reconcile my faith versus the reality that I'm experiencing. And I just like the honesty in here. Mary falls at his feet. Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. Now, watch this. this the response of Jesus is incredible to me. Remember, I already told you the end of the story. Do you think at this point Jesus knows what's about to happen? Do you think he knows that he's about to turn a funeral into a party? He's about to say the funeral is now officially over, right? He's getting ready to just bring out this amazing work. And yet watch his response. It says, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply annoyed and said, you people have no faith. Get out of my face. Why are you whining and crying about your problems? Is, is that what your Bible says? My Bible says that when he saw Mary and, and all these other people weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and trouble and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked Come and see, Lord, they replied. And in the, very, the shortest verse in Scripture, John eleven thirty five, 35, look at the response of Jesus. It simply says, Jesus wept. And the Jews said, see how he loved him? You know, I, maybe God brought someone here this morning for no other purpose than to remind you or maybe tell you for the first time that we serve a God who identifies with our pain. He cares like even though he already knows the end of the story, even though he already knows that our best is truly yet to come and that, yeah, we might have some valleys to go through and there's going to be some trials and some difficulties, but he knows our future is so much better than our present. Even still, he cares about the fact that your heart is breaking right now and he has the ability to identify with our pain and weep with his people. It's pretty incredible that he cares. Sometimes we paint a picture of God as this aloof, distant force that really has no relational consideration or care for his people. And friends, that is not the God of Scripture. He's deeply, intimately involved in the hearts and the emotions of his people. We serve an emotional God, and Jesus puts his emotions on display, and he identifies with his people in their moment of pain. That's pretty cool stuff. So some people are sitting back watching Jesus weeping, and they're going, wow, he really loved him. But then check this out. Let's keep the story going. There's another voice in the crowd murmuring, and some of them said, next verse, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Do you understand what they're asking, church? It's a fair question. I have the same question if I'm present at this. I'm watching this guy weep who I've heard stories of or maybe I was actually there in the crowd when I saw him restore sight to a man who had never been able to see his entire life and he, he healed a blind man. I saw it. I've heard stories about this guy who took a small amount of limited loaves of bread and fish and he multiplied it and he fed thousands of people. I heard one time he crossed over an entire Sea of Galilee walking on the water. Like, it's crazy. I've heard some amazing things about this guy. 
How is it that he could not have stopped Lazarus from dying? That's the question. I've wrestled with that question many times as I speak to my God, who I know is able to do immeasurably more than all I could ask or imagine, and yet sometimes he doesn't deliver in the way that I asked and the timing in which I laid it all out there. What's going on here? See, here's what I would suggest. We're about to find out. It, the, the que- it's the wrong question. The, the question is not one of God's ability. The, the question is not whether or not Jesus was able to bring Lazarus back from the dead. I want to go back earlier in the passage. Remember when Jesus said, we heard him say, that this sickness will not end in death. Remember that? What did he say right after that? He said, basically, that this has been allowed so that God may be glorified through this situation. Did you catch that detail? Watch this. I believe what's happening in this moment is not a matter of Jesus being unable to do anything. It's a matter of Jesus wanting to reveal something new about himself to this crowd of people that they, at that moment, did not know about God. So it's like this. He's basically saying to Mary and to Martha and to those around, listen, I know up to this point I have revealed myself to you as a healer. You have seen me and you know me to be a healer. But check this out. Today, I'm getting ready to introduce myself to you, not just as a healer, but as the resurrection and the life. I not only have power to heal blindness and physical ailment, I have the ability to speak over death and reverse death. I can steal stuff back from the grave, and I'm about to teach you that about myself. You would have had no way of knowing that unless you were allowed to go through this trial. And so, hey, Martha, when you say, I know someday in the future I'll see my brother in the resurrection and I'm kind of putting my hope and my faith in something way out in the future, hey, Martha, I want you to know something. The resurrection is not just an event that's coming out in the future. The resurrection is a person, and I'm that person. I am the resurrection and the life. And I'm about to show myself to you in a way you've never seen me before. Did you know? Sometimes when we're at our lowest moments in life and through our greatest trials, we learn the most about God. Have you ever experienced that? I'm just being honest. I kind of wish it wasn't that way. I, I, don't, I don't like having to go through those things sometimes to draw closer to the Lord. But I've got a scripture to write down, if you would. It, it just jot down this reference, and you can go look it up on your own. Here's some homework for you. Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. We won't take the time to look at that this morning, but here's what I can tell you. If you go look up that verse, you're going to hear God saying through his prophet Isaiah, essentially, here's the message. God is going to say, hey, hey, church, hey, people, hey, creation, I have thoughts that are so much higher than your thoughts. And I have ways that are so far higher than than your ways. Essentially, God is saying in this passage, I'm God, and you're not. And I see things, and I know things, and I understand things that you cannot begin to see or know or understand, because you're not God. You know, his name, he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He sees, this this will trip you out, okay? He does not only see all of human history at one simultaneous snapshot. 
He sees every possibility at every possible moment. Like, he is doing things today that will have effect generations to come because he's God and he can see that. He's already setting up answers to prayers of our grandchildren and great-grandchildren, and there's no way we can get our little finite minds around an infinite, holy, sovereign God. And so sometimes in these moments of pain and loss and suffering, we have to come to this place of acceptance where God, you're God and I'm not. You're going to be glorified through this. There must be some kind of purpose in my pain. But I, I don't know what it is. And hey, I got a word to the Christians in the house and, and those listening online, like to the church. I just used a cliche. I just spit out a cliche and I don't like cliches. This cliche is true, what I just said, when I said there's purpose in the pain. But can I just... Side note, let's take a little rabbit trail. I want to talk briefly to the Christians about how we come alongside of others who are hurting. And this is just as much being preached to myself as anyone else. But right now, as we've been reading through the Bible, we're in the book of Job. And if you know the story of Job in Scripture, it's a story of pain and loss and suffering. Like Job was a righteous man. He, had, he was blessed like with wealth and health and a big family and influence. And the enemy took it all from Job. Killed his kids, took his wealth, took his health. Like Job is suffering and he's in pain and he's in misery. And then he's got these three friends that show up. And for seven days, his three friends knocked it out of the park. You know why? Because they said nothing. And they just cried with their friend. And they just sat with him as he mourned. And then they screwed it all up. You want to know how they screwed it all up? They opened their mouth. And they did what we so often feel the need to do. They attempted to try to explain to Job why he was suffering. And they got it wrong. They basically brought some truths to the table, but they're not God. So their, their answer to Job is they're trying to convince him, hey, obviously, Job, you must have sinned against God because he doesn't let this stuff happen to good people. Hey, newsflash, sometimes bad things happen to good people in the sight of a God who loves you and cares for purposes we don't fully understand. And his friends, for the entire book of Job, are trying to convince him, hey, fess up, where have you sinned against God? Clearly, you're looking at porn, you're, you're, you're addicted to drugs, you've robbed a bank, there's something going on in your life, Job. And he can say with honest conscience before the Lord, no, I'm good, like, I'm in a right relationship with my God, and I'm hurting and I'm suffering. So here's the thing, Christians, pastors, don't feel the need to come alongside of hurting people and drop Christian cliches on them about there's purpose in the pain and God has a reason and all things work together for the good of those who love him. All of those things are true. But in a moment of pain and loss and suffering, Mary and Martha just need someone to weep with them and identify with their pain. Jesus can do what he's doing because he's God and he can come alongside and be like, hey, I'm going to show you something about me you didn't know. I'm going to teach you how I really can provide, but the only way I can really teach you that is for you to be in a position where you are in desperate need of my provision. I'm going to show you my ability to heal, but the only way I can really reveal that to you is if you are in a position where you are in desperate need of my healing. I'm going to show you that I have the ability to be the resurrection and the life, but you're not going to be able to experience that until you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Powerful stuff. Last verse, last section of verses. This is where it gets really good. 
Jesus, once more, deeply moved, came to the tomb, right? So everyone's crying, mourning. It's, it's sad. Bad news, right? It's about to change. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Look what Jesus says next. Take away the stone, he said. And then once again, Martha puts words to what John's thinking in my head. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor for he's been there for four days. Hey, listen, if I've been in the tomb for four days, don't come opening that thing up, all right? Like, we'll both be embarrassed, okay? Just leave me in there, okay? I'm not there anymore. She's like, it's going to stink. Jesus said, then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. By the way, this is something God's been speaking to me about. The miracle didn't come till they went first. Did you notice this? Like they had to move the stone before the miracle happened. Sometimes I think we sit back and say, Lord, we're praying for you to do something supernatural. And we're just sitting and waiting. And God's like, you go first. You move, then I'll move. So they, they moved the stone away. Then Jesus looked up and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And then look at this last line. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Friends, I want you to know that this is so much more than just a cool story of something that happened 2,000 years ago. This is the story that Jesus wants to write for your life and for my life today. I came here today to tell you the main thought of this message, if you're following along on the handouts and you want to write this down, is simply this. We serve a God that specializes in bringing dead things back to life because we serve the resurrection and the life. And here's the crazy thing about preaching the word of God is this. I don't know how that applies to your life entirely. I'm about to make a few suggestions. But the cool thing about the Spirit of God is he uses common, ordinary people to preach his word. And then in a supernatural way, he has the ability to kind of tap on the door of your heart and go, hey, he's talking to you right now. So let's just explore a few possible applications of this scripture. Really, we serve a God that wants to remove the grave clothes from us and give us a second lease on life. Friends, obviously this starts with salvation. It starts with Jesus bringing our dead soul out of the tomb of sin and darkness and into the resurrection and the life and the light of Jesus. And that comes how we mentioned earlier where Martha said, Lord, I believe you are the son of God. And I'll ask it again. Have you confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? If not, I've got great news for you today. There is an answer for your sin problem, and his name is Jesus. And he's waiting, standing by, waiting for you to receive him into your life. Because we serve a God who specializes in bringing dead things back to life. But guess what? As I mentioned earlier, that's not where it ends. That's where it begins. Life starts with Jesus. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have life right now. You might have a heart that's pumping in your chest, but you do not have the eternal life of God flowing through your veins if you do not have a relationship with Christ. Life begins with Jesus. So let's talk about some other ways that God can bring dead things back to life. I believe we serve a God who can bring dead marriages back to life. 
We've seen it happen many, many times in 14 years of doing ministry as the, in the life of our church. We have seen God step into situations where by all external looks, it, 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 this thing's dead. We're talking about divorce attorneys, and we're talking about how to divide up the stuff, and we're talking about who's getting the kids on the holidays, and we have seen the power of Jesus Christ bring dead marriages back to life. It can happen for yours. Now, you're going to have to submit along the way. Both of you, you and your wife, you and your husband are going to have to submit to God's way and his will, but man, he can do it. He can take your marriage and not just make it better. He can make it better than it's ever been. We serve a God who we have seen bring physical healing into people's lives when they, they had no other hope but God. And we serve that same God. Maybe, maybe I'm sp- talking to someone today that you've got an adult son or daughter. They are wayward. Like you did not raise them to live the life they're living right now. They're running down the path of darkness and death. Did you know that we serve a God who can redeem them and take them back to life? Don't stop praying for them. Keep believing. Let let your faith stand in the gap for them right now because we serve a God. That's what he does. He's the resurrection and the life. I feel compelled to talk about this subject of dreams. Like, I believe God has put a dream in the hearts of his people. Why do I say that? Because scripture tells us that we are created in God's image and we are his masterpiece. Like, God, we are his workmanship created to do good works. And here's how I believe that works so many times. I think God puts dreams in the hearts of his kids. And I believe I might be speaking to someone here today that you have a dream for your life, but over the years, the voice of fear has become louder than the voice of faith. The circumstances of life have just piled up on you and like your dream is all but dead. What if God wanted to reach into that dead dream and say, I gave that to you. I put that dream in your heart. I don't want this dying. Bring it back to life. Take action. Take some steps. Believe me for that. I put that there. That's my image in you. Follow that dream. Embrace that dream. Again, what does that mean? I don't know. I just believe God's speaking to some hearts this morning through this. I really believe that. So many other areas of life we could apply this to, to our relationships, to our finances, to businesses. I don't know what area of death there is in the sound of my voice this morning, but I know this with all my heart. As I said in Brookings earlier this morning, we are surrounded by thousands of people who are walking around spiritually in grave clothes, in death and decay. And we serve a Savior that came to this earth and gave his life so that he could show himself to us as the resurrection and the life. My challenge to you is that you would embrace the life of Jesus today, that you would put your faith and trust in him. And if there's any way that we can help you, take that step of faith, take that step of obedience. And please don't leave here today. Please don't log off of our iCampus without talking to one of our volunteers. We'd love to visit with you a little bit more and answer any questions that we might be able to help you out with. But I'm going to challenge us as we look to the Lord in a word of prayer for you just to say, God, search my heart. How does this apply to my life? Like, where do you want me to know you more, to grow in you more, and to go serve others in your name. Let's pray. God in heaven, I'm grateful for this day. I'm grateful for this opportunity to share this amazing story uh, with your people this morning. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would recognize this is not just a cool story of something that happened in history 2,000 years ago, but that this is your will for our lives right now today. That we would be men and women of life, 
that have come from death and darkness to embrace life in so many areas of our life. Lord, I, I pray that if there's anyone in the sound of my voice this morning who does not yet know Christ as their Lord and Savior, that today would be the day that they bow their knee before you and say, Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God who has come into the world. Please come into my heart and my life and be my Lord and Savior. Jesus, I pray that there would be eternal fruit that comes about. And maybe even just so immediately that not only do we see people accept Christ today, but next Sunday they would be in this place, in the waters of baptism, boldly professing their faith in Jesus. Lord, we just give that to you. Lord, I, I pray for any other areas of death that I can't see with my limited vision. Lord, you see all things in this instant moment right now. You see every detail of our lives. And I just pray that you would bring the resurrection and the life into dead marriages, into dying dreams, into dying bodies, into dying finances. Lord, we need the life of Jesus, and we worship you today as our resurrection and our life. I pray you'd use this message powerfully in our lives and in the life of this church as we go from here today. Lord Jesus, we honor you, we love you, we worship you. It's in your precious and holy name we pray these things. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Rescue Church Past Messages. To hear our messages live, head to one of our physical campuses or check out our iCampus at therescuechurch.tv every Sunday at 10 a.m.